0: Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. Ogaga. Hallelujah. Okay, let's start tonight. uh, I really want to start a series of teachings. If you want to write down anything, maybe in terms of topic, just write keys to understanding prophetic scriptural symbols. Keys to understanding prophetic, scriptural symbols. Those are the things we're gonna be dealing with this season. See, there are a lot of languages, uh, symbolic languages that are used in the Bible uh, that makes it a little bit difficult for people to comprehend the word. And so they misapply certain statements in Scripture. But we're going to be looking at these things. Such terminologies like the end of the world or the world, the world itself. What does it mean, the world? When the Bible says the world, what is it talking about? When it says the end of the world, what is it referring to? And things like the day of the Lord, the darkening of the moon and the sun, the passing away of heaven and earth, all those kind of things that often and again we see in scriptures and um, commonly we've applied them or people apply them to mean it's talking about uh, basically what people term the sign of the end times. Have you had things like that before? Yeah, these are the things we want to be examining in this particular scripture. I mean, in this particular study, how they are used in scriptures, their applications, then, and if at all we need to apply them now, and as to whether they have been fulfilled in certain specific passages of scripture, as you read the Bible. You see, if you have these keys, it becomes easy for you to understand so many things. Uh, as you read through the scriptures. For instance, let's look at the book of Revelation. Uh, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, what do you find in verse 1 is this uh, It says, The words, uh, that's, that's the Bible is talking about, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. To show unto his servant things which must surely come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angels unto his servant John. Now, the word signified from the Greek is a minor, which actually means to indicate, to indicate, uh, to signify. Philal definition says to give a sign to indicate, to make known. Amen? So now, you find that the book of Revelation, in the true sense, it was not meant to be a future book to the people that John was writing to. Right? But the whole book is communicated in symbols to the very recipient of this book. It's a sign book, meaning it's a symbolic book. Are we together? All right. Now, commonly, like the book of Revelation, uh, book of Matthew, say, like Matthew 24, the book of Mark, part of the book of Mark, like you look at, uh, I think, Mark 13 and things like that. Then you have the book of Daniel. All these books are actually symbolic books, Right? And uh, in the days when this book was written, there was a common pattern of writing that was called apocalyptic writings or apocalyptic literature. Now, it actually began more with the Jewish people, continued before the exile, and then the Christian community that believed Finally, also continue to go along with this apocalyptic type of literature. And uh, basically, the sense in which they were writing these books, for instance, you can look at uh, the book of Ezekiel, talking about Ezekiel's dry bones. That passage, you see, is apocalyptic. Is that all right? It's not writing of literal dry bones. It was symbolic of the house of Israel. And how God was going to get them out of captivity. Are you there with me? That is what Ezekiel was talking about. So, apocalyptic writings were actually prophetic in nature. And it was not as if it was more of a future thing. But you see, it was speaking of things that we end and something else begins. Are you getting that? So, for instance, the captivity that they were in, when he was talking about the dry bones... He was not speaking of the fact that the tribals or the captivity will come to an end. And he's going to move them out. Now, when it gets to an end of the captivity, what's the next thing? A new state begins. Did you get that? So basically, apocalyptic writings were not meant to speak of the end of the world. It was meant to speak of the age of specific things that were going on. But now they were all coded in what? In symbolic language. And most times, those who were writing apocalyptically, uh, in terms of those literature, they were not putting their names. Reason because they were afraid of persecutions. John put his name in the book of Revelation because then he was in exile. Are you there with me? I want you to understand it because it's very important in the things we're going to be dealing with in these uh, few weeks. So it's very important you understand this. Uh, one of the first places we really can find apocalyptic writings uh, in terms of from the prophet is the book of Isaiah chapter 24. If you read that, look, especially verse 4, we're going to talk about I'm going to punish the world and, and things like that. If you look at that passage, you see part of what I'm talking about. So that is basically how this thing w- what was going on and then it came into the Christian uh, community. I just feel like giving you a little background of this. Uh, at the end of the day, you're going to read it. So, things like Mark 13, 2 Peter 3, um, Ezekiel, all of those passages speaks of, they were apocalyptic in nature. They were symbolic in nature. Is that okay? Are we together? Alright, I want you to get this. Okay. So, uh, I think I just want to leave that for you to, much later you understand some of those things. Now, you find again that it is a little bit, if I may use it, it is erroneous to use apocalyptic writings in the sense of what cannot be seen. Right? Because you find that even though Revelation says it is symbolic, it was meant to be seen because The Word says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are you getting that? So, apocalyptic writings were not meant to truly confuse us. They were meant to reveal certain things. But though in symbols. Are we there together? Good. Um, Let me give another simple illustration. For instance, when Jesus was talking about the fig tree, right, it didn't... intentionally meant to confuse people, but he found that the fig tree speaks of the house of Israel. Is that okay? If you may follow it critically, you find that God was simply saying the law will no longer be applicable. It it from the root. The house of Israel were being guided and living their life by and through the law. Is that okay? So that's what he was actually dealing with. I want you to get that. So Revelation talks about unveiling um, okay, one other thing I also want us to understand is most people who use these apocalyptic writings to mean the end of the world were the Gnostics. The Gnostics were people who believe that matter is evil. In other words, anything natural is evil. So, in their own belief, the Kulun believed that Jesus was born. Like, if you go to the book of John, Say he that believe in not that Christ is coming the flesh is the Antichrist. Have you read that? Okay. He was actually writing to the Gnostics. The Gnostics believe that matter or anything that is natural is evil. So Jesus could not have been born as a human being in the flesh. Are you getting this? So now John was saying any man who says Jesus did not come in the flesh is the Antichrist. So the antichrist were a group of people who were agnostics in their thinking and their teaching are you getting that so the agnostic belief in terms of apocalyptic literature means the the world is completely evil therefore the world must come to an end are you following that good so to a very large degree when you begin to believe the same way then you are agnostics in your thinking you are saying the world is evil, so the world must come to an end, and this is a mindset which with the agnostics, we are writing. Now I want you to gather that because it's very, it's very important. Okay, uh, but you see, if you follow critically, when the Bible talks about maybe things like heaven and earth shall pass away and all of that, it is like heaven and earth passing away to be replaced by another heaven and earth. Is that all right? Yes, that is the way it goes. But to the gnostics, this simply means the earth and the heaven will be destroyed. But basically to them, the earth is so evil that it doesn't have to exist at all. So this is the way it was. Okay. So you find again that um, apocalypticism, as it were, is one of the major heresies of the present day evangelical world. Are you there with me? When I say that, I want you to understand this. A lot of people feel the world must end. A major evangelists in the world, especially in America, feel the world is gonna end. So by implication, they are buying into the idea of the apocalyptic literature and to an extent, the agnostics in their theology. Are you following this? Don't let these things confuse you, you're gonna understand it. Okay? Because most of what you see on TV is the end of the world. Is that all right? Now, when you talk about the end of the world, you're saying the world is evil. Yeah. That's that is the world the world must end. And that is the gnostic perception in their literature. The world must end. Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh because the flesh is evil. <laughs> Are you getting that? Okay. So I want us to understand this uh, as we're going to progress. I just want to leave you on that. And one of the other scriptures that the uh, apocalyptic teachers or evangelists or preachers uses is Mighty 24. Uh, we're going to be dealing with all of that a little bit uh, to understand one or two things. Amen? So that we can catch up basically what the law is saying here. Okay, um, let me just go now to want to deal with today, basically, with the issue of the world. When you read the world in the Bible, what do you mean? That's why I feel these studies are going to be very important. Anybody who is a serious-minded student who wants to understand, basically, his own Bible in terms of when he wants to read the Bible. You need to understand these keys that I'm about to give. It may run about two, three, four weeks, as the case may be. Uh, I just want to pray that we be consistent and then we'll be able to understand certain things because you need these keys to understand your Bible as you do your personal studies. Are you there with me? Alright. Now, the World War we need to discuss tonight. We're going to be discussing the World War this evening. Okay, so what does the World War mean to us in the Scripture in terms of the symbolic usage? Uh, I, I, I will say something here but let's first of all look at the Old Testament. I want to put two Scriptures one in the old, one in the new, and then begin to discuss, and then we'll go to Mighty 24, where it is also used. Is that okay? All right. So first of all, let's look at Isaiah 13, verse number 11. Isaiah 13, verse number 11. Uh, let's just look at that. The word wall. Wall. W-O-R-L-D. What does it mean? Anytime we read about it. Is it talking about the globe? Okay, are you there in Isaiah 13, verse 11? The Bible says, And I will punish the world for their evil. Basically, that's the key thing I want to pick from that passage. Did you get that? I will punish the world for their evil. Did you read it there? Question Which world was he talking about? When did Isaiah write this uh, prophetic word? Who was he addressing? Which wall is this? Is that your wall or the world we are living in now? Are we together? I want you to catch this. This is what is going to help you when you begin to study the Bible. Okay. So now, you go back to verse 1 of the book of Isaiah that we have just read. Isaiah 13 verse 1. What is it saying there? Look at what he said. Are you there? The body or prophecy of which people? Of Babylon. Did you get that? The burden or prophecy of Babylon. So if you look at that, you find that Isaiah 13 was a word against the kingdom of Babylon. So when he said, I will destroy the wall, he was talking of destroying Babylon. And the people that existed at that time in the Babylonian Empire, as the case may be. It's like saying, the government that ruled Babylon and its people, right? As against, remember, Nebuchadnezzar have to take the children of Israel even into captivity. The Syrian, the patients, all of these people. Is that okay? If you start reading from Isaiah uh, I think 11, down, 12, 13, 14, you find that it was prophesying about Syria, was prophesying about Babylon, prophesying about, you know, all these kings that were actually dealing with Israel. That's why a diligent study of Isaiah 14 will reveal to you that I have nothing to do with a spirit being, Lucifer there was dealing actually with the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. If you can take time to study that, go read it from the Good News Bible. Or look for simpler translations of the Bible and it will reveal to you that God was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. The prophecy starts from Isaiah chapter 13. When he said, I'm going to destroy the world. So the world, in quotes here, speaks of the people that are existing at a particular time that a prophecy was given. Does that make sense? Good. I'll get you to see all of that now. Okay, let's get down to a little bit, I in uh, the book of Revelation. So here now, just what I've read now, the war here in Isaiah 14 is actually symbolic or referring only to the very people involved in that prophecy at that particular time. And in this case, it was referring to which people? Babylon. Does it make sense? Okay, let's get into the New Testament. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse number 10. Okay, we're going to read from verse 9 to 10. And I would like to read this from the New uh, International Version, NIV. Let's read it from Revelation chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 9 to 10. Are we together? Look at that. Revelation 3, 9 to 10. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but a liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commandment to enjoy patiently, my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Praise the Lord here. Who was God writing to here? Remember, there were seven churches. Is that okay? Are you there? God was first of all addressing seven churches. Now, in this particular passage, He was addressing the church of Philadelphia. Are you there with me? He was addressing the church in Philadelphia. And he was telling them, you have enjoyed my commandment, you have enjoyed patiently. This the the Father, there were these people who claim to be, you know, he called them synagogue of Satan. What it means is they were Jews, they were having synagogue, whatever the case may be. And yet, they were persecuting the believers because they wanted them to also come into the Judaism that they were practicing. Okay? So, here God is speaking to the faithful congregation in Philadelphia, promising a reward from the persecution they were all enduring at the hands of the Jews. It was the Jews that were actually giving these people this problem. Are you there? He said it will be spared from the hour of trial. The war action that will be seen or soon taking place in Judea. You know, if you go back, this takes you back to, back to Mighty 24. Is that all right? The troubles, the war that was going to come, that was going to take place at that time. Jesus was speaking to this church that I'm going to spare you. So it's not talking about your war now. He was dealing with a particular church that was facing persecution, especially in the hands of the Jews. And at that time, we find that there were wars and destruction that were going to come to Judea as a people. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to spare you. Okay? So we're talking about the people of that land. The Jews were the world who will experience God's great trial. Those who lived on other at that time will be tested by not hearing or ignoring the warning sign that Jesus gave, especially in Matthew 24. Is that all right? And this also plays a position to know that this book was written before the fall of Jerusalem in the AD 70. Are you there with me? See, I want you to understand these things because they are going to help you when you read the book, you'll be able to know that this is either fulfilled or this is not referring to us or this was referring to this group of people at that particular time. So when you say "wall," you are not referring to planet Earth. That's the thing I want you to understand tonight. Do you understand that? Okay. Now, you know, in the book of Matthew, we have the issue that talks about the end of the world. Isn't it? Okay, let's go deal with that just a little bit. Tonight as well. Mighty 24. Mighty 24. Now let's look at it from verse number 1 uh, on to 3. Verse number 1 to 3. Mighty 24. This is what it's going to say. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things. Now, if you look at the, if you look into other translations, simpler translations, the Bible made us understand that the disciples came and said, Oh, how beautiful are these temple. Is that okay? They were admiring the temple, they were admiring the building. So Jesus came, and they came to Jesus and said, Oh, Master, look how beautiful these temples are. Look at all this wonderful uh, architectural piece that is all standing here. Okay. All right. And then verse 2, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Is that okay? They showed him in the temple, and he's saying, Whoa, look at that. All these structures, you see, this temple that I have risen to this level, this, how beautiful it is. But not one of the stones that is upon one another will be standing. Everything will be brought down. Are you there with me? Please follow what is going on here. Then the next thing, which is verse number three, the Bible says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Holies, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What in your mind is the question? When shall this temple be brought down? That's the question that we're asking. Then the next thing. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now, this is where the trouble comes in. For those, to me, this is one but three questions. It's one question, but in three phases. Your coming will result the destroying of the temple then what will be the sign when you are coming it's one question but in three phases are you getting that when shall this thing be is the first question in other words when will this temple be brought down what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world so now I don't know if anybody have another translation there. Fine. What translation do you got? New King James. New King James. The world war there is not the globe. The world war means what? The age. Are you there with me? So, they were not asking when the globe will be burnt out. They were asking when will the age end? And I'm going to explain to you. What it stands for. But you know, for my brothers and sisters in the Lord, once Mighty 24 is quoted, the next thing they think about is the globe. But that is completely erroneous. Like I said, Mighty 24 is very apocalyptic in writing. I mean, in, in, in scripture, it's, it's one of the passages that is symbolic and prophetic. Is that okay? So, just like we said, you cannot be talking about the dry bones of Ezekiel and you are looking for literal dry bones. Because the prophetic word. Is that okay? All right. In Ecclesiastes, for instance, chapter number one, verse number four, what did the Bible say? One generation comment, another one. Is that okay? But the earthward abided forever. Is it written there? Good. So, it's not talking about the world. As five eighteen talks about the earth or the world was greater to be inhabited. Is that okay? You can also write, um, write down if you want Psalm 104 verse number 5. If you read those scriptures, you have evidence enough to know that the Bible says the world abides forever. Is that alright? Okay. So now, uh, let's look at Ephesians 3 Verse 21. Ephesians 3, verse 21. If you're there, the Bible says, To him be glory. We're looking at the end part of it. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages. What's the next thing you see there? Wall without end. Amen. Ephesians 3, 21. Can you get that? Did you see there? Wall without end. So you can see Scripture speaking, wall without end, and at the same time talking about the end of the wall. That looks contradictory. Is that okay? So now if we find that the wall is without end, then we need to find out the question or the meaning or the answer to the question that Jesus was going to give to the disciples in Matthew 24. Is that okay with us? Okay. Now, when you said in Matthew 24, what shall be the end of the world, the word world is from the Greek word aeon. A-I-O-N. And it means an age. By extension, that which is perpetuity. And it means the world, but basically, it speaks about specifically the Jewish order. A Masonic period. Is that okay? This is basically the definition you're going to get about the issue of the word war in Matthew 24. From the Strong Concordance. Alright? Also check out this word from the Greek lexicon. Uh, the dictionary of the greek it shows that the word age may refer to a period of time in man's history whether having or not having specific date of demarcation is that okay it could mean a space of time it clearly defined a marked out epoch it means an age and also a lifetime of life and also a generation Do you understand that? That's from the Greek lexicon. So the basic sense of the word age, or aeon is word age, or a period of existence. Just simple. When you say aeon, you you are talking about an age or a period of existence, which could be specific, though not determined by mind's time frame of calculation. Is that all right? Okay. Now, the New King James, for instance, use the word age. And what shall be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So, it's like saying, the New King James translators finally have to correct that word, war. So, for those who preach about the end of the war, they are speaking to the Old King James, but now it has been reversed and the real world is put in place now. When you get the real meaning of the word "eon," then your perception about the end of the globe also changes. Are we together here? New American version or standard version also says "age." Then uh, we have the Good News Bible also said "age." We have it NIV says "age." williams beckham translation use the word age the revised standard version use the word age new english bible use the word age the amplified translation use the word age is that all right and then the interlinear translation that is greek to english english to greek use the word The conclusion of the system of things. And I generally like this translation in this regard. The conclusion of the system of things. So the question is, what shall be the sign? When shall this thing be? What shall be the sign of their presence? And the conclusion of the system of things. So we need to check out what are the system of things that they were asking about. All right. Okay. So uh, I think that's okay. You can just check up other ones. Uh, the New Century version says, and what? 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 what after the question, say for this age to end. What? What is going to be for this age to end? This age to end. That's the New Century version. Is that okay? Are we all there? Okay. So now. In that mighty 24 then, when we talk about what shall be the end of the world, what should we read? What should be the end of the age? So the next assignment we should have is to discover what age they were asking after. Is that all right? I'm saying this so that you can be able to comprehend certain things when you read the scriptures. You should be able to know at the point at which whoever is writing was speaking, the audience in question. And the prevailing situation as to when the author was writing. You need to pull these things together. If you don't, you're going to misinterpret the scriptures 100%. So that you find that studying scriptures for this time, while we're talking about Isaiah 13 now, I'm going to punish the inhabitants of the world. That will include you. Does that make sense then? No, but you discover that. You are not included. So if you think the world to mean the globe and the people living in the world, that means Isaiah 13 is speaking about you. Are we there? Okay. So what age was Jesus really talking about? Remember, it that say Mighty 24 verse 34, you know what he said? This generation shall not pass till all these things. Is that okay? Be fulfilled. It means he was talking to a particular generation. Alright? So the Bible, when are talking about the end of the world, basically is dealing with the consummation of a particular age. The operations, the system, the belief, everything that pertains to a specific age. That's what it mean. the end of the world. So when you're talking about the end of the world, you're not talking about the end of the universe. You're not talking about the end of planet Earth. You're talking about the end of a particular system. If I want to bring a little bit home, you find that in our country here, we do election every four years. Is that okay? Good. So now, if one government is in place and at the end of the election another government comes in that becomes the end of the world to whoever was in power because you find out by the time the president comes in a lot of things begins to change so a new world comes in when a new president or new governor comes into place it's the simplest way you can understand what i'm dealing with but you see from the time of election to the time of a new election so whether he's going to win the election or not is a wall. Now you can find the picture in the days of Noah. You use the word in the days of Noah, as in the wall of Noah. The wall of Noah now speaks of the specific time that God gave him the world, the time he was living in. And when he started speaking what God was saying, and at the time he started building the ark and the flood came, that wall destroyed. You get that. And a new wall began when he came from the ark. Is that all right? So a wall is a period of time that specific people are existing with a belief system, a culture that they are operating in. So if God said I'm going to destroy the wall, you should be able to understand who he's talking to at a particular time and what is going to be destroyed. Can I amen to that? Okay now let's pursue it just a little bit in the book of matthew right um it talks about the desolation in verse 15 go to verse 15 of mighty 24. the desolation of daniel Matthew 24 verse 15. after I, you know everything is following now he was trying to give answer now when shall this be? What shall be the sign of thy coming or presence? Is that okay? Right. I want you to catch that because it's very important. Because when we're going to be dealing with coming in the clouds, you understand is better. Because we're going to be dealing with the issue of Christ coming in the clouds. All those things, we're going to be dealing with them in this particular series of studies that we're going to do. That's why I encourage you not to miss any series. Okay. Matthew twenty four fifteen. Are you there with me? Look at what it says. Wherefore, therefore, that when therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place. Then you shall know that the end shall come, or the end has come. Is that okay? So I just want to deal with that. Now, if you want to find out, you go to Daniel chapter 9, uh, 23, and then 27, 12, 8, verse 7. You can read all of that. But write it down, Daniel 9, 23. All right, Daniel 27, uh, that's, you can read from 23 to 27 if you want. And then Daniel 12, verse 11, read all of that. But Daniel prophesied about the desolation that will stand in the most holy place. Is that okay? Are you there with me? Okay. So what then was this desolation that Daniel spoke about, that was going to stand in the most holy place as a sign. Remember, they were asking for signs and the desolation of daniel is one of the signs for the destruction of the temple don't don't get that i mean out of your mind because that's the key what shall be the sign of that coming uh, what was it this thing you see this temple shall not stand is that okay okay so everything goes back to the issue of what the temple It's so, okay what shall be the sign of thy coming and shall this thing be now he wants to give them signs and in verse 15, the sign he gave is the sign that Daniel prophesied about in Daniel chapter 9. And said, when you see, I want you to put them together. Listen, when will the temple be brought down? When you see. Are you there with me? When you see what Daniel spoke about. Okay, uh, I think the best thing for you to get this right is to go to Luke chapter 21. What is this Daniel desolation prophecy? Are you there with me? Luke 21. Look at verse 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies. Who are these armies? The Roman soldiers through general titles. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation therefore is nigh. Are you there with me? So here Jesus is telling them, shall be the signs. One of the signs I'm going to give to you is this. Because something you need to understand is that he's saying, if you see the sign, later you're going to understand that you better run out of the city. So one of the signs you should be looking for to indicate that the temple is about to be brought down and there is no way the temple will come down without its city coming down. Are you there with me? So one of the things you watch out for is if you see the Roman armies come to surround the city, you better run. Then the desolation that Daniel spoke about is about to take place. Are you getting that? You need to understand this. So that when you read, you will know precisely what God is talking about. And if you keep on reading that book of Luke 21, it comes to a and he says, when you see all this thing happen, look out for your salvation, drawing nine. <laughs> so how does God connect the destruction of the city to the salvation and the kingdom of God, if you watch it? Because the temple was what was keeping the heart of the people from seeing Christ. Is that okay? That's another thing we're going to deal with. So, but did you get the connection here? The desolation has to do with what? These Roman soldiers coming in to invade the city and to destroy not just the city, but also what? The temple. Is that all right? Okay. So, Jesus was giving them the signs. Okay. Uh... Uh, With with this consideration in mind, there is something I want you to think about. Do you therefore think in the true sense of it that mighty 24 was talking about you? Because he told them in that Luke 21 there, if you see this thing, just know that this city is about to come down. And that is connected to when shall these things be? And then verse 34 says, this generation I'm going to make you see. Because from Abraham to Christ is 42 generations. So, I go to the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 17. From Abraham to Christ is 42 generations. So how long is the generation? Generation is about 40 years. Is that all right? Anyway, we're going to think about it. Okay. Look at Matthew 24. Let me show you. After talking about the desolation, in relation to Daniel, then from 16 to 20, this is what he has to tell them. He gave them all these signs. We're going to be dealing with some of them. The global world, remote walls, and all of that kind of stuff. But from 16 to 20, Matthew 24, he said, Then let them which are on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, Neither letting which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight—what do you mean by flight? You're running away. Your escape, be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Why do you think Jesus is saying that? Because in winter it will be too cold. For you to run in the open air. In Palestine. Is that okay? So pray that when the Roman soldiers are going to come to destroy the city, it won't be at the period of the winter. Because it will be so harsh for you to run in the open. And again, let it be on the Sabbath day because in your belief system, you are supposed to be resting on the Sabbath. And he said, Let it not be also that you are with a child, because it will be a terrible time. You know what that means? Uh, Some of you were not grown up then, but during the Nigerian Civil War, you know what it means for you to have a baby. So when this trouble comes, let it be that whoever is going to run, do not have a young child. Because it will be difficult for you to be running without a child for your dear life. And again he says, let it also be that people will not be pregnant. You know, people often say this has to do with the rapture. So if it's a rapture, it simply means pregnancy will prevent you from being raptured. I mean, what a mean way of thinking. Are you you getting this? I mean, that's the way they teach us. That's the way we believe this thing. Is that all right? Ah, pregnant sisters, you're wondering. Don't worry, you're going to go through whatever it is. (laughs) Is that okay? He said, walk unto them That are with child to them that gives suck in those days. Why? You know what it means for somebody who is pregnant, maybe it's eight month old pregnancy or seven month old pregnancy, now running for our dear life. The kind of pressure. That's what he was saying. Because the Roman soldiers don't come to destroy the city and you need to run for your dear life. Now he's given this condition. Just pray that it's not gonna be somebody pregnant or have a little baby you're sucking. Let it be on the Sabbath, let it be on the winter period because it's gonna be very rough. Is that alright? And don't forget, he said, all these things I'm saying will take place within this generation. But we need to understand what Jesus is talking about when you talk about the end of the world. Amen. Are you there with me? Okay, I want you to capture this because it's gonna help you. So when we talk about the end of the world, oh With Christianity in particular, after Christianity has been introduced, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are actually dealing with the change of priesthood in relation to the old order and the new priesthood. Is that all right? Hey, are we together? Okay, somebody can just look at that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. When you read that, you see what I'm talking about. You read from 24 to 26. Is that alright? It talks about he coming at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But you see, the King James says he appeared at the end of the world to put away sin. Did they find out your King James? Is anybody with old King James rather? Is it appear at the end of, are you there with me? Hebrews chapter 9, 24 to 26. Can you find it there? Is it there with you? You're not looking at your Bible. I want you to look at it. You need to mark it and understand what I'm talking about. Those with the old King James, what you're going to see is appearing at the end of the world to put away sin. Did you find it? Is it there? Now I want, I want to be double sure. Good. But New King James who said, the end of the age. So what age? The age of the Jewish order of worship. Not your age. He's comparing the priesthood. The whole of Hebrews chapter 9 is the comparison of the priesthood of Jesus and that of the Levitical priesthood. Is that alright? So when he says at the end of the age he appeared to put away sin, he is saying he offered himself as a sacrifice as compared to the Levitical priesthood that keeps offering sacrifices every year. Did you find it in your Bible? Praise the living God. So that is the end of the age. So you get it right. What shall be the sign of the present at the end of the age? He gave them all of the signs. So what age ended is the Levitical order. And watch this. Once the temple was destroyed, the age ended. Because the sacrifices stopped. As long as there was no temple, there was no Levitical priesthood anymore to minister. Because the Levite can only minister in the temple. The high priest, Aaronic priesthood, can only minister in the temple. But as soon as the temple was destroyed, their own ministration ended. Are you there with me? So now he offered one sacrifice, which is himself, in place of what was continuously being done by the Jewish order. So he came to end the war. And the war that ended is the age of the Levitical order. Are you there with me? I want you to get that. Now, if you read it again, you're going to see the end of the ages. Did you notice that? Why is it plural? And that is exactly what I was saying. Is the period that spanned from Abraham to Christ? Right? It's about 42 generations. You can look at that from Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says from Abraham to Christ was 42 what? Generations. That's why the word ages was used. So if I arrive from that time, other forms of sacrifices at it where was going on. But once he appeared, everything that has to do with sin, everything that has to do with sacrifices ended. So everything that seems to be what was the process of the redemption of man that was offered outside of Christ ended when he offered himself once and for all. That is why you see the word there, ages. Once in the ages, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Are you catching this? Hallelujah. Are we we following what I'm doing tonight? I want you to understand these things because they are the only thing that can help you. And so that when you hear some messages, you'll be able to know where you are, know exactly what you should be standing for. No corruption no deception is that all right God's word is plain and simple if only we can diligently consider the scriptures in the light of how the spirit inspired the world one more thing I need to show you I don't know if we can finish with this now but go back to my 24 verse number six Mighty 24, verse number 6. Look at what he said. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Mind you, he's giving them signs. Is that alright? You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be no troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet come. Oh. <laughs> Amen? Mm-hmm. The end is not yet. Wars and rumors of wars. Now, the living Bible lies the way he posts it. He said, When you hear of wars beginning, this does not signal my return. This must come, but the end is not yet. So why then people pointing us to As the end of the world. So you see war in the Middle East, and people begin to quote this. I remember one time having a meeting in Singapore, and this man just came out and said, Well, you see all these things going on, these are prophecies being fulfilled. I am speaking to you as a prophet of God. You quote in twenty-four. You say you're speaking as a prophet of God. Is it God giving the word to you now? Hallelujah. And so we see people just see, watch CNN, watch Al Jazeera TV. And then they go to the next scene on broadcast and say the wall is ending. Did you not know, read it? Man, I can preach all of that because of what is going on in the north? Boko Haram, the end of the war. How I many of you remember? Just two days ago, how many people were killed? Yesterday, massacred. That's the end of the war. To the evangelists. No, sir. Abraham even fought wars. How many of you remember that? So did the war end because Abraham fought wars? There have always been wars. Amen. <laughs> so, wars are rumors of wars. It's no sign of the end. Jesus said that. Okay? If that is where we are taking it from, then we'll prove that theology wrong by the language of Jesus. It's not the end. Hmm? And don't forget, this generation must not pass, all these things be won, be fulfilled. When did the whole of those things get into place? AD seventy, right? That is when the whole thing happened, from historical perspective. Now, I can tell you something if you want to go back to history. All right. Now, going back to history, the Jewish using perspective will find that in Seleucia, we had a record of about 50,000 Jews that were killed at the particular, this particular period we we're talking about. 50,000 Jews were killed. The Jews were seriously risen against Alexandra. They were fighting against Alexandra, trying to overcome and things like that. In the Battle of the Jews and Syrians in Kassuera, about 20,000 Jews were killed. I have to go into research. Talking about within the period that Jesus made this statement and the wars that took place. Is that Okay. Over there in Rome, within the space of 18 months, four Roman emperors came to a violent death. Right? Then the Roman historian, if you look at the annals of Tacitus, whose historical record covered this period, prior to the fall of Jerusalem in 17, made use of such language as, you know, as he was writing, he was saying, war in America, the war in Britain, intrigues among the Persians, insurgents in the Gulf, commotions in France, in Africa, disturbance in Germany, the whole of his book were fraught with all these languages, showing that at that period there was a lot of war that was going on. And these are the things that Jesus said was going to take place. So basically he was not talking about your age. Am I talking to someone here tonight? Praise the living God. So as far as the Jewish Christians were concerned, they saw the sign and they were expecting the sign. So, when they saw the Roman soldiers came to Jerusalem, those who believed in the language of Jesus, they ran out of the city. Record has it that when the Roman soldiers came according to Luke 21, somehow, because God was intervening on behalf of the believers, Titus refused to fight and just whole break. And then withdrew. Unexpectedly. And the believers took advantage of that moment and all escaped from the city. And as soon as they all left the city, Titus came back. As for those who never believed in Jesus and what he said then, they were all leveled. Are you see them? So that language was not meant for you. Some 2,000 years after. No, 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 no. If you check that Matthew one seventeen, we're talking about 14 generations, that's about 1,680 years. Is that okay? Come on, are we here? on, about 2,000 years. Let me put it that way. So we're talking about 2,000 years before Christ or so about 14 generations. And then Jesus now said, this generation. So think about that. 42 generations, rather. About 2,000 years, give us about 42 generations. Because that's about 1,080 years. And he said, that's about 42 generations. And then you are thinking about, he said this thing 2,000 years ago, and you still make it to be your generation. How long is a generation? Praise the Lord. Let's take one more thing tonight, and then maybe we can park it up. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. And he says, And this gospel of the kingdom is all part of this sign. Is that right? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto I all mean nations and then shall the end come. What end? Often again, we're talking about the end of the globe. No, no, no. That is not true. Hmm? I want to make you understand something if you look at Ephesians 2 from 21 I mean 11 to 12 Ephesians 2 11 to 12 you be able to discover that the Bible talks about the middle wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles is that alright okay we not being part of the common weight of Israel is that alright Good. I want you to catch you because it's very important so when we are talking about the world, basically in scriptures as at that time, in relation to Matthew 24, it was talking about where in was a Jewish person. The Jews were not, reg- I mean the non-Jewish people were not regarded as part of those in the world. The Bible said they were without God in the world. What that means is they were not in the common way of the promise of Israel. So they were not regarded as people. <laughs> okay, I want to show you something. Alright? I want to show you something. Uh, let's just go down to what what passage. Look at the book of Romans. Romans. Are we there in the book of Romans? Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Paul speaking says we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations of the world for his name all nations of the world all right and now just move down to verse number 8 the first place i, I don't know any record to show that apostle paul came to africa but he said all nations of the world huh look at verse 5 verse 8 Firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The faith of which people? The Romans believers. When did you hear about them? But Paul writing at this time saying, your faith is being spoken of in the whole world. We have not heard anything about the Roman believers. But you see, as at that time, remember Jesus was born when the Roman Empire was in place. Is that okay? So wherever there was this Greco-Roman empire and wherever the Jews were scattered into, that makes up the world. Is that alright? So when Jesus was saying this gospel of the kingdom should be preached as a witness to all nations in the world, then the end shall come. It has to do with the end of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. In other words, there is no Jewish person, wherever within the Roman Empire that we know here about the gospel before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Are you following this? It's very critical, but you need to get it. Let me show you one more scripture on this Colossians 1. Look at 6 and look at 23. Colossians 1. 6 and 23. I just want to combine it to read it. He said, the hope which has come to you as it is in all the world. And he said, and be not removed away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore, Aunt Paul I made a minister. Now, what he's saying is, <laughs> when he was writing to the Colossian church, every creature under heaven have heard the gospel. How true is that? Praise the living God. But what he's saying here is, as at when he was writing to the Colossian church, there was no Jewish believer that had never heard about the gospel, wherever they were. That's what referred to every creature. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He that is the Christ is what? A new creature. So when he says, every creature under heaven is dealing with, The Roman believers, I mean, the Jewish believers, wherever, they find themselves at a particular time. They've heard. In other words, they have no excuse with regards to the Jerusalem wars and destruction that was going to take place. Is that all right? So the gospel of every creature under heaven. But we know that was, I mean, how long, how long did, did the gospel come to Africa, you know, as the case may be, Uh, things like that, you know. So I want you to take note of this thing because it's very vital. It will enable you to catch up with exactly what I'm trying to say. Now, there's something I want you to understand. The letter to the Romans was written in A.D. 56, between 56 and 58. That is some 12 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Is that okay? It was written between 56 and 58 A.D. And Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70. So, that your faith had been held in all the world, that statement was made with regards to their belief 12 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Is that okay? I, I want you to understand that because it's crucial. So, judgment came to Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and then uh, the whole wall of Asia. For instance, if you look at Acts 19, verse 27, you're also going to see the same thing. The Bible tells us that the goddess Diana is being worshipped in all the world. The goddess Diana is being worshipped in all the world. I don't think we have uh, the worship of Diana here in Africa. So, but what he's saying is, as far as the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire was concerned, there was this goddess worship that is called Diana. Is that okay? And then he talks about the goddess that is worshipping all the world. I'm reading this just to enable you to see what exactly is talking about. So when we're talking about the end of the war, we're just simply talking about the end of the old covenant in relation to the new covenant. Are you there with me? Are we following? Yeah. I want you to go back again and read it. Hebrews chapter 9, 26, I mean 24 to 26. I want you to take time to read that. So when we're talking about the end of the world, we're just talking about the old covenant being passed away and the new covenant coming into place. So when you read the world, don't always be thinking about the globe. This is the emphasis for tonight. Recognize is talking about a passing away of a particular system and that the introduction of what? Another system. One generation coming, one generation passing away. Is that okay? According to Ecclesiastes. So know that. And on your part, you need to also understand it. So, for instance, what Jesus said, he does in Christ a new creature, all things are pass away. It also means that there are some things in your life that are old world that must pass away. Are you there with me? It's just like we deal with that. as time, I mean, as we progress, we're talking about the last days. This is that, which is spoken by Prophet Joel, in the last days. Is that okay? You should understand what last days. Last day is not actually speaking about you. It's dealing with the last day of the Old Testament and the new day in Christ. When the Holy Spirit came, that was a last day with the worship of the Old Testament. A new day in Christ was done. So last day is not talking about today. And so come on, the one who preach. oh, that is the last day, fine. You must say that in context, if you want to use it in last day, you're referring to yourself, you must refer to it in terms of, I'll put it this way, the day you know Christ, you experience your last day. Your last day with your old self and a new day in Christ, now. Are you there with me? So the things that are controlling you, the things that be ruling you, the system of belief, and everything you've been walking through when you come into Christ, automatically you enter a new day, and your old day is what is gone. Your old world must vanish for your new world to be established. God bless you. For further information and message order, please call plus two three four eight zero three four eight. 10869 or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net God bless you